Once again, let me use this as a reminder that right now we are in the season of Lent, those 40 days between Ash Wednesday and Easter Sunday, where we try to especially focus on the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and our call to respond. And this year, to help us, we are looking at the question, well, how do we, how are we called to practically respond in sacrificing ourselves in response to the sacrifice of Christ using the text we looked at last week, Romans 12:1, that encourages us to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice to Christ, for this is our spiritual act of worship. This morning, we begin that journey of looking at that and looking at Psalm 95. And we're going to talk about offering, sacrificing our hearts to God in worship. If you haven't found it, it's on your pew Bibles on page 590, or you can follow along with the words as they are found on the screen. Psalm 95 says, Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth, and the heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for he is our God. And we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as is on the day of Massah in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. For forty years I loathed that generation and said, They are a people who go astray in their hearts, and they have not known my ways. Therefore, I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So having introduced this idea of sacrifice, let me just say some obvious things about sacrifice. First of all, once again, as we think about sacrifice, there's obviously in us stuff that does not like to make sacrifices. We don't want to let go of things that we value. But secondly, is the understanding that we are called to make sacrifice. And that's especially the case as we think about this idea of worship. Now, I made the point last week that I'd like to highlight again that worship isn't just what takes place here, but it's about how we live all of our lives. But there is something special, unique about our time together. For a little over an hour, and maybe more, on Sunday mornings, and then again on Sunday evenings, we have this special time marked out where we come together and are invited to focus in worshiping our God. And yet in doing that, it doesn't always feel like what we want to do. Going back to that earlier point, we have things that compete for this time. And there are times when it feels like a sacrifice, when we've got to get the kids together and get all dressed up and get all our time and come here. And, and the pastor keeps going on and on. And it feels like a sacrifice. 
So yes, sacrifice is hard. We don't like to do it, but we are called to do it. But a third thing about sacrifices that I don't think is often as obvious is that everybody makes sacrifices for the things that they worship. Every human being does that. If you want to know what someone's God is, what they worship, look at what they sacrifice for. When there are two options before them and they have to make a choice about how to spend their money, how to spend their time, what they want to sacrifice in order to pursue something else, oftentimes what they pursue over what they sacrifice reveals where their heart is, what they are worshiping, what is their God. The flip side of that is the practice of Lent. When we are called or encouraged to sacrifice something and we realize how hard it is to give up, that might reveal that our heart has been given a little bit too much to that thing. That if we can't give up our video games or we can't give up sweets or we can't give up doing something or some other activity, even though it is sinful and harmful, That's revealing that maybe our hearts have been given too much to this thing. So how do we adjust that? And how do we give our hearts totally to God? And what does that look like? And it's answering those types of questions where we turn to Psalm 95. Hopefully Psalm 95 is a psalm that's very familiar to many of you. It has been used as a call and encouragement to worship for literally thousands of years by the people of God. And in it, it focuses us around the ideas of why do we worship God, how we are to worship God, how not to worship God, all leading us finally and fourthly to that idea of what godly worship is truly looks like. And it's by going over those four things that we're going to be doing this morning to help us understand what does it mean to worship God and to offer our hearts to him. Although it starts with a call to come and worship our God, what I want to start by looking at is this idea of why are we invited? Why should we worship and focus our worship around God one reason that we should do this, and it gives us two reasons at least in the text, or two that I will focus on. And one of those reasons is because he is the great God. Look at verses three to five of our text. Here God is called the great king above all gods. As I just said, we as humans all give our hearts in worship and sacrifice to something. And the people of ancient times were more honest about that. And so when they were living their lives, as they wanted to sacrifice to appease the gods that they had in their minds, the idols, they had all kinds of gods to both choose from and that they had to serve. So if you wanted the rains to fall, then you had to sacrifice and worship the god of rain. If you wanted your crops to do well, you had a sacrifice to the God of of grain. If you wanted your animals to thrive or if you wanted fertility, you worshipped each one of those different gods and sacrificed to those myriad of options. But what the Israelites and what we have always been invited to recognize is that all of those gods, as our call to worship said, are worthless idols. 
And the reason why we worship Yahweh, the one true God, is not because he's a one of many options, but because he is the great God over all of those things. And that's where our text goes. It reminds us that he is the one that created the very depths of the earth, and he also controls its greatest heights. He is involved in the sea and in the water, and he is involved in the dry land. Everything that we know and can imagine and see is all created and preserved and engaged by his holy hand. Our God is a great God. Who else should you sacrifice for except for the one who with his very speaking brought everything into existence? That, of course, is one reason to worship our God. But the second one that the psalm mentions in many ways is an incredible corollary to that. In verse number 7, it says, For he is our God. And we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Not only is he the great creator of all things, but it says that he has a relationship with us like a shepherd has to its sheep. And the analogy there that it's drawing out is like a shepherd knows, numbers, protects, and cares for his sheep. That's exactly how God feels about you. And that metaphor of a shepherd gets developed throughout Scripture. We think of Psalm 23, the good shepherd who, who guides us at all times of our lives. We think about many of the parables that Jesus told. And we think about what Jesus said about himself in John 10, verse 11, when he says, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And that's exactly what Jesus did. That's why he came. He came because as sheep, we have all gone astray. We've wandered away from our God. We've tried to find joy outside of him. And yet, as the good shepherd, Jesus came to sacrifice himself in order for you, one of his sheep, to be called back, to be welcomed, to be loved and cared for. That's what we celebrated today in Baptism of Trent. Trent now is known and has received the promise that he is one of God's sheep. What another wonderful reason to worship our God. He knows you, he loves you, he cares for you. And now put those two ideas together and imagine that. The great king of the universe who knows numbers and has placed every single star in the sky and never lose track of any one of them. The great God who has a whole world to govern and to guide with the changings of seasons and with his creation. That God, that great king above all gods, knows you by name, loves you, how unworthy we are of that love. We are like little ants in the eyes of God compared to everything else here for just a moment. And yet God says, you are my sheep. That's why we worship God. 
What a greater reason is there to, to come into his presence and let him be the one for which we sacrifice. So in recognizing that, we then turn with the psalm to say, how are we to worship God? And the psalm is not concerned with the mechanics of worship, of what it looks like to worship, but more how we come emotionally into the presence of God. It says in Psalm 95 verse 2, let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. How do we worship God according to this? With thanksgiving and with joy, first of all. Again, with thanksgiving. When we recognize who God is and all that he has done for us, what should be our response but a humble and a hearty thank you to God? But unfortunately, that's not always how we come into worship. I've said it before and I'll say it again, oftentimes in our prayers, I feel like I don't set the greatest of example because these congregational prayers are often used as time to bring our needs to God. And, and how often do we go home and that's the majority of our prayer life is asking for things from God. But how much greater should we be in reflecting on and thanking God for the things he already has given to us? It's the message that I gave to these young children. Instead of saying, give me more, you say, thank you for what you have done. That is a, is a heartfelt mode of worship. That's how we worship God. And then it also says we do so with, with joyful praises. And again, we feel a little bit of a sting there too. So oftentimes in the Old Testament, when we talked about the sacrificial system, through the prophets, God chastised the people for just going through the motions of the sacrifices. Yes, they were bringing the animals and they were going through the sacrifices and offering them. But God says, I don't want just those sacrifices. I want a broken spirit and a contrite heart. Those are the sacrifices that I want. The sacrificing of animals was supposed to lead you into a heart that served the Lord. And again, that that's comes to us. That How often do we come just out of obligation? We go through the motions. And we think like, okay, God wants us at church. He wants us to do devotion. He wants us to pray. So yeah, I'll be willing to do that as long as I get the rewards in response. But the invitation is different to come with a joyful heart. And when we truly recognize who God is and what he has done, that should spur in us some excitement and some enthusiasm in response to that. Instead of saying, okay, I'll just do what I have to do, we should be excited to come into the presence of God and to say, you have done much for me. I am delighted to celebrate that with your people in song and in celebration together. So those are the first two ways mentioned. There's another way mentioned in the psalm that we are to come to God, and that is humbly. Look at verse 6. It says, Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. This goes back to that first point a bit again about who God is in his greatness. And when we truly understand that, we would understand exactly what Isaiah experienced in Isaiah chapter 6. That in the presence of God, we are filthy creatures and we do not belong here. 
that we belong to be driven from our God. And so our response in worship should not be to stroll up to God and be like, hey, great king, how's it going? But to be humbly entering his presence with the idea that I don't belong here. I don't deserve the love that he has shown to me. And I should just get on my knees before the great king that I am here to serve. Because of who God is, we are called to come in thankfulness, in joy, and in all humility before our king. But having said all of that, that actually leads to the third thing that we want to focus on, which is how not to worship, which this psalm also addresses. Fundamentally, when you put all of that together, what it means is to offer our hearts in God and worship, we see that uh, the, the call is to submit ourselves unlike has happened in the past. In verse 8, it says, it talks about times of Meribah and Massah, where the people hardened their hearts and tested God, even though they had seen what he had done for them. Meribah and Massah are places in the, New in the Old Testament during the time of the wandering of the Israelites. Having been set free from slavery in Egypt, the Israelites were called to go through the wilderness before they entered into the promised land. And that journey through the wilderness was obviously a very hard one. There was not much provision there, and yet every step along the way, God did provide. He guided them as a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. He provided for them every day with a special food called manna for them to eat that sustained them during that time. And yet, despite those provisions, there were times when the wilderness got the better of the people. And instead of approaching God with thankfulness and rejoice, with joy, they approached him with grumbling and complaining. In fact, that's what those words mean. Meribah in Hebrew means quarreling and Massah means testing. And we're told that when they got to these points where there was no water and they said that God had abandoned them and they wanted to go back to Egypt, even though they had been slaves there, they asked, is the Lord among us or not? And again, despite all of their daily provisions the people had received, their response was not of praise and worship, but more. Lord, you're making me uncomfortable. I don't like this, so I'm going to grumble, I'm going to complain, and I want more. And then uh, these people... Oh, I'm sorry, the psalm also then makes reference to the wandering in the desert for 40 years. Another moment when the people thought that God was asking too much of them and out of a lack of trust were unwilling to act. These people are criticized because they had seen the work of the hand of God in incredible ways in their lives and their response was to say, it's not enough. You haven't provided enough for us, God, and, and you're asking too much of us in response. We want you to do more for us so that we can do less. And the end of the psalm tells us a story about how God had not allowed them to enter into his promised rest because of their distrust and lack of understanding of God. And as easy as it is for us to identify their failure and their lack of trust. Again, I think we have to be honest about, with ourselves where we too 
have fallen short in that same area. Oftentimes when God is blessing us, of course it's easy to come and to worship and to say, God, you're giving me good things and so I'm going to worship you. But as soon as there are trials or struggles, as soon as there are things that God is asking from us in order to sacrifice and to serve, often our response can be, oh, wait a minute. Don't ask me of anything. That's too much. I come here to be blessed by you, but don't call for me to give up anything in response. And fundamentally, when you put all of this together, you start to see what it means to offer our hearts in worship. Wrong worship is a worship that is a negotiation. It is transactional. It says, okay, God, you call me to, to come to church and you call me to do devotions and to prayer, fine. I'll do those things, but it's an arrangement. I'll do this, and in response, you are going to rescue me from hell. And so I'll do the minimum, and then you will do what you need to do. You're going to make life better. But real worship is not transactional. It is devotional. And true worship recognizes who God is. In all of his power, glory, and might, in all of his control, he alone is worthy of our worship. And nevertheless, he is a God who knows us and loves us. We owe him everything, and he owes us nothing. And yet in his son, he gave us everything. And therefore, of course, our response should be to worship him, not just in moments at Sundays, but throughout our lives, and to do so with thanksgiving and with joy and with all humility, saying, since you have given me everything, I will thank you, not just in word, but in deed and in service to your kingdom. Because we don't want to be like those people that missed out on the rest of God because they thought that God wasn't doing enough for them. In response to the great sacrifice of Jesus, the invitation is to offer our hearts in worship to God. Again, remembering that every human being will worship something. And that will be revealed by what you are willing to sacrifice for and where your devotion truly is. And so when it comes to your relationship with God and we examine our hearts, where does worship land in its priorities? Is that the greatest priority of which we will sacrifice all other things in order to make God and our, develop our relationship with him through worship? Or do other things quickly and easily prioritize our time, our devotion, and our hearts where we sacrifice worship in order to pursue other things? Again, when we truly appreciate who God is and what he has done, I think there only is one right response, which is, Lord, I give you my heart in all ways and at all times in order to glorify your name for what you have done. Well, toward that end, let's have a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we bow in your very presence, recognizing the great God that you are. We bow in all humility, recognizing that we deserve nothing from your hand. But we worship you, not only for the God that you are, but for the mighty things and the wonderful things you have done on our behalf. 
Lord, as we meditate on that, on our own and as a community, I pray that our hearts would always be turned to thankful and joyful, humble expressions of gratitude for what you have done. I pray that we wouldn't use you as a tool to get the things that we want, but that we would devote ourselves and dedicate ourselves to sacrifice anything in order to glorify your name, to build your kingdom, and to demonstrate the great gratitude we have for the God that you are. Lord, may this season of Lent be an opportunity for us to reprioritize our relationship with you at all times and in all ways. May we get back to the heart of worship, which truly is all about you. It's not what we get from you, but it is about the relationship we are privileged to have with you. May you be our reward. This we pray in the name of the rock of our salvation, Jesus the Christ. Amen.